Well, good morning. I'm excited about today. I really am. So I'll probably get pretty emotional, just to warn you. But um, this morning, we're going to wrap up our series, uh, The Journey. And, um, and through this, this series of The Journey, we've been looking at the journey that the Israelites took when God called them out of Egypt and called and led them on the journey through the wilderness and were, took them to the promised land. And so we see God calling them. We see God providing for them. The first week we talked about the fact that we're all on this journey together. The second week we talked about the fact that God provides for us in every way that we need it when God calls us. Last week, Dale talked about worship and how our journey is worship and how we have to get rid of everything that's going to keep us from worshiping God and that everything we do is worship, that our journey is worship. And today, I want to talk about the future. I want to talk about what's ahead of us. I believe that God has something for each and every one of us. I believe that God has something for this church, Westchester Nazarene. And so today, I want to talk about the future. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you today, and I pray that you would just be speaking to each and every one of us. And I pray that as you've called us, and as we're on this journey, that, that you would just give us peace and that you would give us confidence to live for you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, speak to us as a church this morning, and help us to walk away from here knowing that we have a God that's greater than anything we're going to encounter. We love you, Lord, and we ask you to speak to us in thy name. Amen. So I want to start by, by telling you a story, and this story actually happened a little bit before I was born. Some of you will know this story very well. Most of you have probably heard of this story, but I'm going to take you back to 1980, the year before I was born. That way you can figure out how old I am. 1980. An amazing thing happened in 1980. They had the Winter Olympics in 1980, and, and the, a huge thing happened. It was called the Miracle on Ice, and, and basically what happened was the United States hockey team went and did something incredible. So let me give you a little background. In that time, the greatest hockey team in the world was the Soviet Union. They had won six of the past seven championships or gold medals. They were the greatest team in the world. And in 1980, a coach named Herb Brooks took over the U.S. hockey team, and he held tryouts for the Olympics. And the people that tried out were all amateurs. There was only one player that was on the 1980 U.S. hockey team that had played in the Olympics the four, four years prior to that. And so the team of the U.S. was made up primarily of college kids. Most of them were either from um, Minnesota, the University of Minnesota or Boston University, and they held these tryouts, and all of these college kids came together, all these amateurs came together and joined with Coach Herb Brooks, and they went on a journey. In their journey, Coach Brooks had this vision that if we come together and we work together and we play our hardest, that we can reach where we want to reach, that we can win. And so this team came together, and things went pretty well. There were some bumps along the way because Minnesota and Boston were rivals. And so some of these guys that were coming together to play on this team didn't get along very well. And along the way, they had to learn to get along um, 
with each other. They had to learn to play together. And this team started growing and getting better and better. And they went to the Winter Olympics and they started winning games. And then they came to the medal round, which is a good place to be. And they came right to the edge of what their goal was, right to the edge of, of glory, of winning it all. But they came to the semifinal game and they came up against the Soviets. The Soviets had been 27 1 and 1 since 1960. That means they won 27 games, they tied one game, and they only lost one game in the previous 20 years. And this USA team of amateurs who's playing well and has been on this journey comes up against this powerhouse, this team that just doesn't lose. How do you think those college kids felt? How do you think the the amateurs felt? I mean, things had been going so well, but they come to the right to the brink of success, right to the point that they're almost where they need to be, and they look across the ice, and they see the Soviets. They see the Russian team. The Russians had the best goalkeeper in the world at the time. They had the best players in the world. They had three or four guys that ended up being in the Hockey Hall of Fame from that team. And I can just imagine that these young American kids, they were thrilled with how good they they had done, but they're sitting there looking at giants. They're sitting there looking at the greatest team on earth. And they had to be terrified. Well, I want to jump back to our our story of the Israelites. We're going to pick it up in Numbers chapter 13 today. The Israelites had been on a long journey. God had called them out of Egypt. God had taken them through so many things and provided in so many ways. And at the point we're looking at today, they are right outside of the promised land. They're right on the cusp of what God had promised them all along. And so they're right there, and things have gone well, and there's been some bumps, and God's provided and done amazing things, and they're right there on the edge of the promised land. And so Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 to 2 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Hear that again. Send some men into the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. This is the promised land. This is what God has for them. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Now, this sounds like it was God's idea to send the the spies into the promised land. But if you read ahead into Deuteronomy chapter 1, you'll see that actually this was the Israelites' idea to go out and check out the promised land. God had brought them all this way, and they're right on the edge, but the Israelites wanted to get a look at what they were up against. They wanted to see what they were walking into, and so they had this plan, hey, we're going to send spies in there. We're going to see what we're walking into. We're going to see the enemy. We're going to see the land. They wanted to know what they were up against. I talked about this um, two weeks ago. I talked about how in my life, I know that God's calling me. I know that God has something for me, but I just want to see it. Can't you relate with this? You know that God has something for you. You're right there, but you want to know how it's going to happen. You want to know what you're up against. You want to know the plan. You say, God, show me it all. I want to know. Don't make me wait. 
I know you've got something for me, but I want to know exactly how it's going to work. And that's where the Israelites were. They had seen so many great things. They had had God lead them, and they're right there. But they need to know what they're up against. Because I know you've been great to me, God, before, but I need to know how you're going to give me this land. And so in, in verse 17 to 20, it says this, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, He said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit in the land. And so basically Moses gives them instruction to go get every single detail you can get about this land. Find out what it's like. Find out who's there. Find out how strong they are, how fortified they are. Find out exactly what we're up against. They were really caught up on knowing, on knowing what they were walking into. I can relate with that. So every year we go on vacation with the kids. We've got four boys. And every year we go on vacation, and almost every year there's a pool involved on our vacation. And we love to swim. And and I just keep thinking, like, how amazing is it going to be when all the boys are excited about swimming, and we go to the pool and we're wrestling and, and jumping in and throwing football to each other. I remember growing up that dad would throw the football, and we'd try to jump in and catch it and do flips and all this fun stuff. And so we go to the pool every year on vacation, and I, and I have this, this issue that comes up. I want the kids to, to learn to swim. I want the kids to learn to get into the deep end. I want the kids to have no fear of the pool, because I understand that once we get to that place, we're going to have a blast. And so every time we go to a pool, it's the same charade. I go into the deep end. Maybe we start in the shallow end, but at some point I say, all right, get out. We're going to jump in the deep end. And so I go to the deep end, and I'm standing in it, and maybe it's five-foot water, and I'm saying, just jump to me. Just jump in here. You're going to love it. We're going to have so much fun. But you know what my kids do? They want to see what they're jumping into. And so they they might say, yeah, okay, and they walk up, and they look over the edge, and they think, That's kind of deep, Dad. And I say, just jump. You're going to love it. Just come on. I'm right here. I'm going to catch you. We're going to have a great time. And you know what they do next? And you guys probably did this too. Maybe you still do. They walk up there, and they get to the edge, and maybe they even put their toes off the edge, and they start to think about it. But it's terrifying, so they back off. And year after year, we have this charade that we go through where I'm like, don't you understand? I've got something great for you. We're going to have a blast together. I'm your dad. I would never let something happen to you. Trust me. Jump in. We're going to love it. And year after year, sometimes I get them to jump in, and then we go away for a while, and we come back the next year, and they're terrified again. And it's, it's, it's so frustrating. We can have so much fun, but they want to know what they're getting into. And when they look at it, it's terrifying. In college, I had the opportunity to go to Uganda with, uh, with a mission trip from Trevecca Nazarene University. This was the summer after my freshman year, and we went to Uganda on a mission trip, and I got to do the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. 
I got to whitewater raft the Nile. Okay, now when you think of the Nile, you don't think of whitewater rafting, but the Nile in Uganda has awesome rapids. They have class five rapids. I mean, huge rapids, and it is an amazing place to go whitewater rafting. One of the greatest parts of it is that when you go rafting in the rivers around here, they're pretty shallow. So if you fall out, you might hit your head and hurt yourself really bad. But the Nile is so deep that you don't have to worry about that. What you have to worry about is how long it's going to take you to come up out of the water. And I remember they said, when you, if you fall in the rapids, you might get dragged under for 30 seconds or so. Just don't worry about it. You're going to come up. And, and so I remember that. And honestly, having been through it, what would have happened if I said, I want to go check those rapids out before I do it? I want to go see these rapids. Because honestly, some of the waves that we were in were like 10 feet high. I mean, it was incredible, the water that we were rafting in, and I don't know if I would have done it if I would have known what I was getting myself into. I would have been terrified. But I had the best time of my life. That's probably the coolest thing I've ever done was that whitewater rafting trip. Sometimes we get caught up in knowing what we're getting ourselves into, and it causes us to be terrified. We get to the edge, and we think, I can't do it. It can't happen. So they sent the spies into the land. The Israelites wanted to see what they were up against, and they sent the spies into the land, and they brought back a report. In verse 26, it says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. So here it is. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And so their initial report is this. It's awesome. It's exactly what God said it would be. God said he was calling us to the promised land and said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's exactly what God said it was. It's an amazing land. But then we see this word. And it's not a huge word in your Bible, but I have it really big in my notes because this is an important word. But... But, and we see the second part of the report, the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And so the second part, it was the land is everything God said it would be. It's awesome, but... There's giants in there. There's a lot of really strong, really big people in there. And they've got strong, fortified cities. And and there's just no way. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. They're giants. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. And so what happened was the Israelites 
wanted to know, and so they got up to the edge, and they looked into the promised land, and it terrified them. I remember my senior year of high school, I played basketball for, for Hume Fogg Academic Magnet. Doesn't that just sound like a basketball powerhouse? Hume Fogg Academic Magnet. A very good academic high school, but we didn't even have a full-size gym in our school. Our gym was on the third floor, and it was about a three-quarter size gym. And so to go play our high school basketball games, we had to drive a couple miles down the road and play at a middle school. That's how awesome our sports programming was at my high school. And so I played basketball my senior year, and I was the tallest guy on our team. And some of you are thinking, you're pretty tall, that works. But in basketball, I'm not that tall. I'm, I'm actually pretty average size for basketball. And so on Christmas break, my senior year, we had a Christmas uh, break tournament, and one game we came up against the Donaldson Christian Academy team. And Donaldson Christian Academy, that doesn't exactly sound like a powerhouse either, but let me tell you about their team. My friend Dave Stark was on their team. He was a, he was a Nazarene kid that went to First Church in Nashville, and Dave Stark was six foot nine. I'm six foot four. Dave Stark is six foot nine. And then the Herndon brothers, they were actually Nazarene kids too, were on that team. And there were two brothers. And the younger one was six foot 11, almost seven feet tall. And his brother was six nine or six ten. And so my little high school team walked into the gym, a team that had probably at that point won a couple games that season because we weren't great. And we walked into the gym, and me being the tallest player, I walk in and I see giants. And I mean, like, what are we going to do? They're huge. And they had other guys that were much bigger than me. And this team was just full of giants, just like the kids in the pool, just like me at that game. The Israelites were looking, and all they could see were giants. God had brought them all this way on the journey. God had done all of these things for them. But when they looked into the land, all they could see were the giants. And they chickened out. How frustrating must this have been for God? How frustrating must it be for God when God provides over and over and over again? And we want to know what we're up against, and we chicken out. I know it's pretty frustrating, because like I said, every year at the pool, I'm just standing in that deep end saying, trust me, guys, I've got you. I would never let you get hurt. Just jump. And over and over again, my kids are like, no thanks, that's too deep for me. How frustrated must God have been that his Israelites, who he had performed miracle after miracle for, were terrified of the giants in the land and chickened out. God had provided every need they had. God had given them manna every day to eat. God had brought water out of rocks. God had purified water. God had parted the Red Sea so that they could cross a cross safely. God had provided everything. God had showed them that nothing is impossible when you have God on your side. But the Israelites were looking at the giants and they didn't see it and they were terrified. Here's the thing. It's easy to trust God when you're not looking at giants. It's easy when things are going good and everything in front of you looks good to trust God. But when you see those giants in front of you, it's hard. It's easy to doubt. Some of you here this morning might be dealing with sickness. Some of you here this morning might be dealing with cancer. 
Some of you here this morning might be dealing with broken relationships or people in your life that are just sucking the joy out of you and you just don't know how you're going to get through it. Some of you may have lost a job. Some of you may be in a place financially where you don't know how you're going to make it from day to day. Some of you may have felt like God was calling you to something huge and you have no idea how you're going to do it. You have no idea how you're going to pull it off. And you're at that place, you're at the edge of the promised land. Or you're at a place where you, you want to know what's in front of you, but what's in front of you is terrifying. Well, I think it's important for us to understand what, are, what is God's promises for us here today. Because I think we're in a different place than the Israelites in some ways. God called them literally from one land to another. But what are God's promises for us here today? Here are just a few of them. And there are thousands, but here are just a few of them. God promises that if we ask, he will give us wisdom. He will give us direction. He will show us what to do and where to go. God promises to give us a way out of temptation. When God calls us to be different, God will give us a way to do it. God promises that we can have salvation. No matter how messed up we've been, no matter how many times we've missed it, God promises that he will save us through his son, his son's death on the cross and resurrection. God promises salvation for you here today. You can have it. It's promised. God promises that he will never leave us. Over their journey, the Israelites hit bump after bump, but God was with them every step of the way, and God promises that he will never leave us. So no matter what you're facing today, God is with you. God promises to finish the good work that he started in us. And so God calls us out of a place and calls us to the promised land, but God promises us that when he calls us, he will finish it. And so I've got good news today. If you feel called by God to something different, God's going to take care of it. God's going to deliver. The only thing that can stand in the way of that is you looking at giants and chickening out. God promises that he will finish what he started. God promises that his kingdom is coming God promises that no matter what you see around you and what the difficulty is, that the kingdom is coming and the battle is won. And we serve a God who rules it all. And so God promises that his kingdom is coming. God promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so no matter what you think the world around you looks like, God promises that the church is going to be okay, and that the gates of hell and evil will not win. Listen, God doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. God doesn't promise that you're going to be rich. God doesn't promise that you're going to have everything you've ever wanted. God promises us that we can be saved, and that we can have much more than we can even think or imagine. Listen, sometimes the future doesn't look so bright, does it? We talked about some of those things just a minute ago, sickness. Sometimes it seems like it's impossible to live up to the standards that God calls us to. Sometimes it seems like temptation is just way too strong and I'm too weak and it seems like there's no way I can be who God called me to be because of temptation. 
Sometimes it seems like there's no way we can do what God's called us to do. There's no way we can make it from day to day. Sometimes it seems like evil is winning. Let's just be honest. If we look out into the world around us, sometimes it seems like evil is winning, doesn't it? We see people killing each other. We see people hating each other. We see corruption. We see people starving. We see what seems like evil is winning. But I've got good news for you today. The God that calls us and the God that's provided for us and the God that's on this journey with us is the God that's going to deliver us. The God that's going to give us the promised land. It's no matter, no matter what you're looking at, no matter what the giants are that are in front of you, God's got it. And God's going to deliver on the promise and the calling that God has for you. That's the good news today. It's like God's sitting in the pool in the deep end saying, just jump. Just come to me. Just trust me. And all we've got to do is trust God. And God's going to give us everything that God promises. Let's go back to 1980 and our hockey team. I want to show you a video of how that turned out and get ready to get some goosebumps. I do every time I watch it. But let's watch how 1980 turned out for the U.S. hockey team. Now Petrov controls. Back to Parlamov. Skating in on the left side. Into the American end. 55 seconds. But Mikhailov has the puck. Mikhailov sweeping in. Out in front. Backhander goes wide. I think Craig might have got a piece of it. Mikhailov. Back out to Billy Legendov. 43 seconds remaining. Check into the boards, it comes back to center ice. 38, 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it, the Americans on top, four to three. Long shot, Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds, the crowd going insane. Carlemont, shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. The Yelechinov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Imagine that feeling. This team had come together. They had been challenged by a coach that said, if you'll come together and you'll work together and you'll trust the process and you'll trust me, we can do it. And they went all that way and they came up against giants, the biggest giants there were in hockey in that day. And they won. They reached it. In the next game, they won the gold medal. And, and, and they had what, they were, what, they, what the coach had told them, the coach's vision and the team's vision came true because they trusted. Let's talk about how it worked out for the Israelites. It didn't work out so well for the Israelites that sent the spies in. Because when they saw the giants in the land and when they got to the edge of the pool and looked in, they were too scared to go in. And so that generation of Israelites missed the promised land. They missed it because of the giants, because they were terrified. They didn't trust. Moses missed the promised land. But if you look into Joshua, 
the beginning of the book of Joshua, you find that the next generation marched into that promised land and God gave it to them, just like God promised. God had said over and over again, I've got something for you that's so much better than where you were and you just need to trust me. And that next generation of Israelites marched into the promised land and got it, got everything that God had promised. So what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for us that God will deliver? Well, I want to start just by talking to the church real quick. I want to talk to you about our church, about Westchester Church. We're in a time of transition. And I think sometimes transition can be a time for us to just step back and say, like, uh, we're going to see how this plays out. I think sometimes our attitude in transition can be, ah, we know that God's going to do something good, we're just waiting to see what it is. Well, I want to tell you today that God wants to work right now. God's going to take us to the promised land, to what God has for us. And so there's no reason to be scared or timid. We need to live boldly. We need to trust that God has great things for this church. You need to be inviting your friends. You need to be living confidently and knowing that the God who called us to start a church 60 years ago is the God that's going to continue to be with us and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so we need to trust And we need to live boldly. And now for each of us individually, it means we don't have to sit around and worry about the future. It means that we can fully trust that God is leading us no matter what's in front of us. It means that regardless of what's happening around you or what you see outside, the evil that you see around you, God is bigger. It means that if God is for us, Who can be against us? We sang it last week. It's true. If God is with you, you're going to be okay. You've got the strongest thing there is, and that's God, the creator. It means that we can live boldly. It means that we can live boldly knowing that God has us covered. It means that we can dive into the deep end. We can trust God when there's giants in front of us. We can march right in and trust that God's going to take care of us. It means that no matter how bad culture looks, God's kingdom is coming. And it means that as God calls us on this journey, when God calls you to something, God will deliver you. And so today we're going to end our service by responding through communion. And and sometimes I think communion is a great thing that we do. Sometimes I think we celebrate communion and it's almost a somber event of of thinking about um, Jesus' death. And sometimes it can almost be... um, It can almost be something that we're just looking back and almost sad about. But I want us to celebrate communion a little bit different today. Because here's the thing. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, there was a sacrifice. And yes, that that is difficult and sad. But here's the thing. Jesus' death on the cross was all part of God's plan to redeem us. And we can't celebrate communion today without looking eight weeks ahead into the future when we're going to celebrate resurrection. And so today, as we celebrate communion, we don't just look back at death, but we look at the life that we have. We look at the resurrection. Our God that calls us was willing to give everything for us so that we could have freedom. There is no promised land without Jesus' death 
and resurrection. And so as the band comes and as the ushers come, as you prepare your heart for communion today, we're going to think about the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us, and we're going to take the communion elements together. But I want you to be thinking about the promised land. I want you to be thinking about what God has for you. And when you take communion today, I want it to give you strength and boldness to trust that God is going to give you what God promises you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, that regardless of where each one of us is, regardless of what we're going through, I pray that we would understand that we serve a God and we have a God walking right behind us that is bigger and stronger than any of the giants in front of us. We have a God that was willing to give everything and go to the greatest lengths to give us freedom and give us the promised land. Be with us in this time, Lord. We love you. Amen.